a good service this morning. And I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you could, to the book of James. Thank God. Anita talked about this morning, hearing the word and letting the word, getting into the word and letting the word change her. I think we've all experienced that. We've experienced religion, right? Do you know what? And I'm not talking about pure religion, as it says in the book of James. I'm talking about a, a man-made traditional religion. You've, you've heard the cliches and the nice little sit- statements that sound spiritual but really aren't. We all know those, right? Many, many people out there will look at a, a lot of quotes by guys like Benjamin Franklin, and they could swear they came from the book of Proverbs. Or, or nice little things that you heard in a song, in, a, in an old gospel song or old country song, and you were convinced it's in the Bible somewhere. Or maybe it's something your grandparents used to always say, and you just, you just took it as doctrine. But thank God we don't have to guess about what God's like. We don't have to guess about his ways. We don't really have to, to guess about uh, whether or not we should believe certain things because we have the word of God in front of us. We have this word, and thank God it's alive. It's active. It's sharp. It's not just a, a book that we read that, that we have to figure out what's true and what's not. We've got it right in front of us. And uh, when, when you get into it, when you're really, as Peter said, when you begin to desire it like a baby desires milk. Now, I understand that a lot better now than I did two years ago. Understanding what it's like for a baby to desire milk. I used to think that babies just, you know, desired milk like I desire a, a drink of water every now and then. Or a desire milk like I desire pizza. But that desire is very strong. And when they don't get it. When they don't get it, they will do everything to get it. In fact, uh, uh, it's, you know, our son, he's, he's moving around at a rapid pace these days. And, and uh, if you put the bottle a few feet from him, you see him move faster than any other time, he'll go for it. And so Peter says, like newborn babes eagerly desire, desire the sincere milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And so, you know, when we, when we get into the word of God, there's something that changes in us. There are things that awaken in us and uh, we grow by it so in James we find out in chapter 1 I'd like you to start in verse 17 if we could James 1 17 says every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above I want you to hear that every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Well, that's some, that's some doctrine straightening right there, isn't it? That'll fix your theology. Every good thing given, every perfect gift, gift is from above. Coming down from the father of what? The father of lights. He's not the father of lights and shadows. He's not the father of, of gray areas. He is the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Isn't that awesome? There's no variation or shifting shadow. He is all good. He is pure of light. He is just as good as you can imagine he is. And he's not switching. He's not pulling the rug out from you to keep you on your, keep you on your toes. He's not throwing you on your back so you'll look up. He is good, and every good and perfect gift comes from him, and he is the father of lights. There's no shadows. There's no shifting. And it says here there is no variation. He is who he says he is. 
in the next verse, it says, in the exercise of his will, I love this, in the exercise of his will, he brought us out, he brought us forth, sorry, by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. I love it. He says, in the exercise of his will, and this is the cool thing, you didn't have to fight your way, you didn't have to convince God, you didn't have to beg him to let you into the family. It was his will for you to come to him. And in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by what? By the word of truth. Now we know we're born again because of what Jesus did, right? right. You're born again because Jesus died on the cross for you. And when he died on the cross, he took your punishment, he took your sin, and then he rose from the grave, defeating death. So when he died, you were crucified with him, and when he were raised, you were resurrected with him. But here's the thing, you got born again because somebody told you about that. You got born again because the word of God went out and did something in you. The Bible says the message of the gospel is, and the message of the cross is the power of God unto salvation. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that gospel, for it is the power of God. So just that message in itself, it's not just the cross that has all the power, it's the message of the cross that has the power. Thank God for the cross, thank God for the resurrection, and thank God somebody told you about it. Thank God that message has power, the gospel is something in itself. And so that when the word of God went forth and it hits you, and this is what happened to all of us, right? It wasn't just, <laughs> I hope you didn't just like kind of just, just find yourself in a church because you were dating somebody and, and you just never had the heart to leave. <laughs> because then life is going to be awkward for you. You're not going to know who you are. You're just going to, you know, um, <laughs> you're going to get hardened to the word because cause you just never really became part of it. But for all of us in this room, I believe... All of us that are born again, something happened when we heard that word. It hit us. It changed us. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when we heard the word of God, faith came. You see, the grace of God is what God gives freely. The grace of God came through Jesus Christ. This is his free gift. These are his, his things that he gives you by his grace. You didn't earn them, but they're a gift from God. But it takes faith to grab onto that grace. We were saved by grace through faith. You had to have faith in something, right? That's why, that's why you didn't accidentally get saved. That's why you didn't trip and, and land on a Bible and all of a sudden you were a Christian, you know? You had to believe something. But it's not just like believing something like you believe the Blue Jays are going to win the World Series. Does anybody believe that? Get some, some Davidsons over there believe that. Thank God. I'm, I'm hoping too. Toronto FC football, you know, soccer team as well. I'm hoping for them too. But that's not the same kind of hope I put in Jesus. Thank God. Right? <laughs> this is a different hope. It's not just like, I, well, I believe, I believe that my plane's going to leave on time. This is, this is something different. When that word came in you, it produced faith because it was the word of God. And the word of God is alive. And it produced something in you you didn't have before. And you couldn't just drum up faith. You couldn't just drum up belief. It 
produced that in you. And so when it says in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth. What does that mean? We don't talk like that anymore. But he brought us forth means he, he took us and he brought us where we needed to be. He brought us out of darkness. He brought us into light. By what? By his word. His word brought you out. His word took you out. And you got born again, and thank God his word continued to bring you forth. If you let it, it'll pull you out of these circumstances. Like Anita was sharing in her testimony, there were certain circumstances she was in that it was the knowledge of his word and believing that word that brought her out. Not just believing it, but because you believed it, you act on it. So you can believe in tithing until the cows come home. Right? <laughs> The people in the podcast aren't going to get that. And you, it's probably just as well. But you can believe entirely until the cows come home, but if you don't put some action with your faith, it won't do you much good. But you know, if you don't put any action with it, I have to ask you, did you really believe it? Right? I'm like, come on, if you believe that it's going to rain, you don't leave your sunroof open. If you believe it's going to rain, you close your sunroof. This is what you do because you believe it's going to rain. You don't just say, well, I believe it, but, but I don't really believe it. Or I, I believe it, but, but I'm going to just take my chances. No, if you really believe something, it causes you to do something. And so because we really believed, the, the faith came from the word. The word came. It brought us out because we grabbed onto it, because that word did something in us, and we had faith in it. And it says, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. In verse 19, it says this, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Wow, that's a big one, isn't it? Quick to hear, slow to speak. Sounds like we do more hearing than, than speaking. And slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted. Isn't that awesome? Receive the word implanted. How do I receive the word? How do I receive the word implanted? And when we say implanted, it's like a seed that goes into the ground. We all understand that, right? When you put a seed in the ground, it doesn't stay a seed. It grows into something bigger, right? And the Bible says, Jesus said that, that he sowed the word. He's a sower, and the sower sows the word. And depending on how your heart is, it'll either stop after a little while, it'll either stop when you're persecuted, or it'll keep growing and begin to bear fruit in your life. The difference is, is whether you receive it with an honest and good heart, whether you really hear it and you believe it. Jesus said there'd be people that that just have a hard heart and they just don't want to hear it and they're done and the word has no effect in their life at all. He said there'll be some people that have a shallow heart. They'll get excited at a church service, but uh, they won't really do much more with it. They just get really excited because the preacher preached a good message or because it sounded good or it, it kind of it got, them, got them thrilled for a minute. But when persecution comes, a storm comes, it says they, they just wither away. It says there's going to be, a, uh, sorry, th those were the people with a shallow heart, but then it says there'll be those who have a crowded heart that get real busy, who, who the word did something in them, but then they just get busy with stuff, whether it be their job or, or all these side little hobbies. They just get too busy, and it says it chokes out the word and it becomes unfruitful in their life. Then it says there's those who receive it with a good heart, a sincere heart. 
And it says that, that word that goes in begins to grow, and it bears fruit 30, 60, 100-fold. It begins to, to do something in their life. Here he says you've got to receive the word implanted. You receive the word implanted. You believe it, and you act on it. And it says when you do that in humility, it is able to save your souls. In verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word not merely hearers who delude themselves. What does it mean to delude yourself? It means you fool yourself, right? You're tricking yourself. Somebody that's just hearing the word and not doing anything, they're tricking themselves. They're only fooling themselves. He says, prove yourselves to be doers of the word. In other words, it means you can already be a doer, but now, now prove it out. Work it out in your life. You've heard the word, and what does that require of you? When you hear the word, what does it do in you? What's it change in you? See, we've got, we, we've got such a, uh, an information overload culture right now that we're used to hearing a lot of new things, right? We're used to learning. We learn a lot, and that's good. It's good that we have all this information at our fingertips. It's good that we're able to learn more than any other generation. We have access to knowledge. But can I tell you, when you open your Bible, when you come into a church door, when you have a, a significant spiritual conversation with a friend, you don't need to take that just like trivia time. That is not just your time to learn a little bit more about the Bible. It's your time to be changed by the, by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God. When you hear the Word of God, I want you to do something with it. We've got to be responsible for that Word. You know, how many times have we sat in a service and something stirred in us, you know? Something just woke up in us. And then you know what? Because we were so busy, we talked about it maybe a little at lunch, and by Monday it was old news. People ask you, what, what, did, what, did, what did he preach on Sunday? And you go, oh, I don't remember. I kind of think it was this, but uh, it could have been the other week. And I don't mind that. I don't take that personally. If it all blends together, that's fine. But but I want you to be so responsible for the word that comes in you. I want you to know how powerful it is. I want you to know how real it is. And when you know it's powerful, you do something with it. When you know it's powerful, you, you don't just sit back and go, well, that was nice. Monday, something changes in your life. You see, if you heard about the joy of the Lord on Sunday morning, if you heard about how it's a fruit of the Spirit and that it's not just a, a state of happiness and it doesn't matter what's going on around you, that that joy can be in you no matter what's around you. You hear that on Sunday? On Monday, I want you to put that to practice. In fact, I want you to do it on Sunday night because that's when the Word becomes alive to you. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. It was a great moment of revelation to me when I realized that when Jesus said the word is a seed, that that meant it only gets bigger from there. Because I used to always think that the biggest, the certain revelation or the biggest the word would be in me, like the biggest, if I heard a really good message that, that was by the spirit of God and it, was, it changed me, I figured the biggest it would ever be in me was that moment I was hearing it and I got excited. Like that was the big moment. And, and I just had to try to keep that up. But in reality, when you really receive the word implanted as it's meant to be, that's the smallest it should ever be in you. 
That moment you got excited in church, that moment you were listening to something at home, the moment you opened your Bible and something came alive to you for the first time, that should be as small as it ever be, is in your life. It should only get bigger from there. And do you know how the word gets bigger in your life? By doing the word. That's how it gets big. That's how it grows. You put it to work, you prove it. You, you test it out. You take it out for a drive. You find out that the word is true, that God is not a liar, that he is still alive. And when he says something, he means something. And if you're, tr if, you're, if you're good with that, if you let that come in and you receive it, you see, God's not asking you to make something happen. You can't make it happen. But the word is able to do something in you. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, I thank God constantly that when you heard the word, you received it not as a word from man, but as a word from God. It is that word that is work performing its work in you. That means that the word of God will do its own work. If you'll just believe it and you'll act on it, you don't have to make this happen. This isn't a seminar. It's not a self-help seminar where you learn to put certain steps into action. We are telling you that God himself wants to be involved in your life and the power of God is present in your life and he wants to do things you never could do. And all he's asking you to do is not take 12 steps and figure it out. He's asking you to believe the word and let it work in your life. Come on, guys, you think when you think when the lame man in Lystra hears the word of God that Paul's going to give him tips, some physiotherapy tips he's never walked in his life, that somehow Paul's just going to tell him, you know, if you tried this medication, you know, if you tried this exercise, maybe you could walk. The man's been lame since he was born. He's never going to be able to walk. But when he heard the word of God, the word of God told him that there was a God that still healed him. And when he believed that, he did not have to make himself walk. He couldn't make himself walk. All he had to do was believe the word of God that said, I can make you walk. And what he had to do was tell his legs, get up, because something's going to change in you today. You see, we come to church and think that God's going to you know, maybe a preacher will beat us into something. Maybe he will just convince us to finally do something. I'm going to tell you, I'm not here to tell you what you can do. I'm here to tell you what God can do. And when you hear what God can do, you put that into action. You say, okay, God, it's just you and me. I'm walking on water. I am a human being with no physical ability to walk on water. You're coming through for me. Now, let me clarify. There's no promise in the word that says we all need to get on the lake and start walking but I still believe in a God who can cause a man to walk on water. And if he told you to do it, he could do it. I just need to put the disclaimer because there's some, <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's always some people that hear that and go, ha ha, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> when God didn't tell them, they just, you know, you notice that Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to walk on the water. You know, that's important. <laughs> that's an important step. Do not skip that step. So we all know this. I know it's, it's almost cliche to say this. It almost could be found on a Christian T-shirt. Nothing wrong with Christian T-shirts, but it's, it's, it's almost something you hear a lot. But God is not asking you to do things that are completely possible. He's asking you to do the impossible. So if it's impossible, you can't do it. Only he can do it. What you've got to be able to do is receive the word of God and trust that the word of God is able to do it in you. So when Peter says, Lord, if it's you, call my 
my name. Tell me to walk on water. When Jesus says, come, Peter, that was the word of God that he clung to. That was the word of God that he stepped out of the boat on. That was the word of God that caused him to take the second step towards Jesus. When he gets far enough that he can't, if he falls, he can't hang on to the boat. It's that word, come, Peter, come to me, come on, walk on the water. It's that word that causes him to go where he couldn't go. So the word of God implanted into you, the important thing is not that you learn, it's not that you sit here and learn a bunch of rules that you somehow need to follow now. The important thing is that, you, that you're here or when you're at home and open your Bible or when someone else is sharing the word with you, that you let that sink in, that God is telling you, here's what I want to do in your life. Let me do it. Act on this. Right? Jesus didn't come and yank Peter out of the boat. Come on, Peter. In fact, there's nothing in the word that really suggests that it was his idea. Peter's the one that says, you know, can I walk out to you? And Jesus says, yes. But Jesus didn't go make him. It wasn't that Jesus said, come, and Peter just kind of started to levitate and found himself on the water. You've got to think about these times when you read the Bible. We, we read the before and we read the after, but you've got to know there's a whole in-between that came. There's that in-between where you had to believe the word, because it's, it's a lot of fun to say, I'm going to walk on the water someday. Someday I'm going to walk on the water. And you just believe that someday you're going to walk on the water. You tell all your friends, someday I'm walking on the water. Oh, it's fun to tell the testimony after about that time you walked on the water. But what about the in-between time? When you actually have to physically put your rear end on over the other side and stick your foot on liquid and there's that moment where you still have your weight on the boat. You know that moment where you're like, I'm kind of walking on water, I'm touching the water. But you know you're hanging on to the boat. But there's that moment where you push away from the boat. That moment can be the greatest and most terrifying moment of your life. But we probably have those moments, if you're, if you're living on the word of God, you can have those moments often. Where stuff just doesn't make sense. Where things just don't seem logical. I like logical. I like risk assessment. I like knowing that I've got a backup plan. But guys, you get out of a boat and you start walking on water, there is no backup plan. Peter didn't have a life jacket on, water wings. <laughs> don't forget, it was kind of stormy. Man gets out. So here it says this. But you've got to prove yourself to be a doer of the word and not merely a hearer because hearers delude themselves. They just fool themselves. Someone who's just hearing the word. Do you know if you come to church regularly and you just hear the word of God, there will be a point where your heart gets hard if you're never doing anything with it. Because the word was never meant to be just, just mere intellectual education. It's like your kid. If you constantly told your kid, hey, come here put that down and they just always heard you and nodded their head but never did what you told them to do you're not going to have a very disciplined kid if that kid hears you very well and nods like I hear you and then just continues to do whatever they're doing you're not this kid and the more they do that the harder it is to ever discipline this kid right you're training a bit of a sociopath there <laughs> you train them to hear but not do do, do any of us expect that? 
You don't expect your child to just look at you and go, I hear you. Praise the Lord. Amen, mommy. Amen. That's good. That's a good word right there. Pick up my toys. Wow. Got me fired up. <laughs> Mama said, pick up my toys. You hear that? You tell all your friends. He, she said, pick up your toys. And she said it in such a way, it was the most beautiful sound in the world. Oh, it lit a fire in me. So are you going to pick up your toys? No, I'm not going to pick up my toys. But it sure was an inspiring message. <laughs> get out of the street. Moses, get out of the street. I hear you. Mm-hmm. Keep on. Yeah, flow. Mm-hmm. No, really, get out of the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good word, good word. I like how you said that, too. You said it, like, louder than you usually say stuff. <laughs> it's not good to just hear and not do. He says, you're fooling yourself. If you think the word's changing, if you're not doing anything with it. Look at this. Here's what's cool. For anyone, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Then he says this, but one who looks intently. Do you know what it means to look intently? means you look and you, you just don't look away. You just, I mean, you're drawn into it. One who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. Now, why does he call it the law? Because, you know, the, the New Testament says we're not under the law, we're under grace. Well, he, he calls this a different law. You've got to remember that when the, the apostle James wrote this, he was writing it to a largely Jewish audience. So they understood when you said the law, you meant the word of God. But he differentiates it from the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law. He says, this is the perfect law, the law of liberty. Those things don't seem to go together, do they? It's like my sister. Before she got married, her name was Liberty Bounds. <laughs> liberty Bounds. I like to think that this is her key verse right here. The law of liberty. You're bound to be free. Isn't that neat? <laughs> Thank God. That this is not a law, this is not the law that will bind you up, that will keep you down. This is the law that will set you free. And so you, you're not under this law anymore. But thank God, he, he, James calls it three different things. He calls it the royal law, the perfect law, the law of liberty. He wants it very clear that this is a higher law, this is a higher way. And here he says, one who looks intently at the perfect law, this is the word of God, at the law of liberty and abides by it. That means you let it do something in your life. You, you let it change you, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. Do you know what effectual means? It means you're not just wasting your time. You're not just, as the Apostle Paul says, you're not just beating the air. You're actually having an effect. An effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So he says the guy that just hears is like a guy that looks at himself in the mirror. Then when he walks away, he forgets who he is. What's that tell us? That tells us that if you want to know who you are, you look right here. This is who you are. The world tries to convince you that you're something different. But when you look in the word of God, you discover who you really are. You discover that you're not normal anymore. You discover that you're a child of God. You discover that you're adopted in his family. You discover that you're no longer a sinner, but you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So you act like it. 
You see, if you're not acting like it, maybe it's because you forgot who you are, right? If there was a force in nature, and there's not, but if there was, that could turn you from a dog to a human being. And you used to be a dog, but then you were transformed into a human being. If you went back as a human being to walking on all fours and just, you know, gnawing at carcasses, we'd say you've forgotten who you are, right? And we'd be a little worried about you. This person has forgotten who they are. They're not acting like they are. So when someone stops looking at the word and they stop doing the word, they hear it, but they don't do it. it mean, it's like somebody that, that, that looks for a minute because when you hear, you get an image of who you are in Christ. When you hear the word, you see yourself like you've never seen yourself before. You see yourself in him. Your life is hidden in him. When you hear the word of God, maybe you've walked out of church saying, man, I just feel like I, I just, I've never felt like I could do this, but now I feel like I can. Or I, I've, I've, I used to think so low of myself but now I believe well something happened when you heard the word of God you found out who you were but if you don't practice the word of God if you don't put it into into your actual life you forget who you are you're like somebody that looked in the mirror when you're when you're hearing the word you're looking in the mirror isn't that wonderful to know that this is your mirror this is your mirror your actual mirror is not your mirror. This is your mirror. This is, this is how you find out who you are. And you know, when you look in the mirror, Jared, when you look in the mirror, I'm sure this happens. You look in the mirror, you change stuff, don't you? When you look in the mirror, you wake up in the morning, you got bad head and all this. What you see in the mirror changes what you do. It changes how you act. Changes, it changes all sorts of things. And you, you know, you, you, the image that you have in your head when you look in that mirror, it begins to match the image of reality that you see who, what you really look like. When you woke up in the morning and you thought, man, I am God's gift to mankind. I, I'm, I'm looking amazing. And then you look in the mirror and go, ugh. It's kind of the opposite with the word of God because instead of looking at the word of God and going, ugh, you know who you are in Christ. You may be feeling, ugh. You may be feeling like you're the lowest of the low. And then you look in here and you find out who you are. I'm not who I thought I was. This is who I am. You read G the words of Jesus and you find yourself in them. And it changes you. But it only really changes you if you act on that word. I love in 1 Corinthians 1. In fact, I'll read it real quick to you. If you want to turn there, you can. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I love when he says in verse 26, consider your calling, brethren. Remember that James said, the word of God brought you forth. You were called out. When he called you, it pulled you out of your old life. It pulled you out of your old addictions. It pulled you out of your old lifestyle. When you were called out, remember that calling. Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. Verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame them, the things which are strong, and the base things of the 
world and the despised things God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. I want you to remember, and I've said this many times, but it might be insulting to read a letter from your favorite apostle when he says, you were not very mighty, you were not very wise, you were not very noble. That's who you used to be. You notice he says, you were not. You were not very wise according to the flesh. You weren't very strong and you weren't very sophisticated, but God picked you. Isn't that awesome? God picked me. Like I've said before, sometimes we just imagine, boy, if that person got born again, we could really use them. We look at somebody that's got it all together. We look at somebody that's got a great talent and we say, oh, I hope they come into the kingdom because we could use them in our church. Nothing wrong with that, but the truth of the matter is, is that God wants to use people you'd never suspect. He gets maximum glory from it because it proves to the world they never could have done this on their own. He chooses these people. He chooses us. And it says, so that no man may boast before God. Look at this in verse 30. So we're talking about people that weren't wise. We're talking about people that weren't mighty. And we're talking about people that weren't noble. Here's what it says. But now, by his doing by who's doing did you try harder it's not about you trying hard it's not about you getting it done it's by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption what does it mean that Christ became that to us? That means that because you are in him, you're all of these things through him. Because of him, you're wise. Because of him, you're righteous. Because of him, you're sanctified. And because of him, you're redeemed. That's big. That's huge. That's, that's our life. So you look at this. When they look at this word, when the Corinthians looked at this, they're reminded who they really are. You see, when they go back to their old friends and their old family, they might think, no, I really am dumb. I really am weak. I'm really not that sophisticated. I'm a total hillbilly. But when they read this and they look at the word of God, he says, this is who you really are in Christ. You're in him. And because you're in him, he's your wisdom. And because you're in him, he's your righteousness. And because you're in him, he's your sanctification. And because you're in him, he's your redemption. So get your head up, lift your chin up. You're not who you think you are. You are who he says you are. So wake up to who you really are. And the only way you'll ever know who you are is by hearing the word and then saying, I believe it enough to do it. So how does a person hear this word and do it? How, how do you hear this word? Because I realize that this might seem kind of up in the air to you. You need to, you need to be able to take what you heard and take the revelation that you received and, and, and not, not get out of your chair at home or not, not go to bed at night until you've let God show you how that word is going to be part of your life. So if you heard this, let's just take this as an example. If you heard this, how would it change your life? By his doing, I am in Christ Jesus. Well, that changes my self-worth already, doesn't it? Now, if he's my wisdom, that means I'm going to act differently. If he's my wisdom, 
then that means I can go to him for wisdom or I can go back to my old preconceived knowledge of what I should do. If I do that, you know, the Apostle Paul already told me I wasn't that wise. It was a little insulting. I was a little hurt. But I got over it. He told me I wasn't very wise according to the flesh. So, so how do I put this into practice? Well, when I have the next opportunity to figure out what decisions I should make, which direction I should take with my life, now instead of just doing what I always would do or the first thing that comes to my mind, I'm going to ask the Lord who gives wisdom because he's my wisdom. So I'm going to say, God, what should I do? And I trust that because he told me to ask for wisdom, that when I ask, he gives it freely. So now I found out that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So instead of going back and going into the old habits and things I used to do just because I, I thought I, because I'm a sinner, I, a sinner might as well sin, right? But I find out that I'm righteous in him. So now I say, how does that change my life? Well, that means when I couldn't be a righteous person before, when I could just never kick it, when I could just never overcome, now I can. And all these things change you. The homework for every service, for every time you open your Bible, is letting the Lord speak to you and say, this is what I want you to do with what you just heard. If it can't change your Monday, it can't change your life. What you hear on Sunday, if it can't change Monday, that's not going to have much effect in your life. We're not one of those groups of people that just simply sits around and pontificates about nice lofty matters so that you can write a college essay someday. Many of you are just too busy for that, aren't you? You've already done your time. You're employed. You're happily employed. You don't need another class on something. But what you do need is the power of God in your life. What you do need is the word of God changing that life. And if you'll receive it, he said, with humility. What does humility have to do with it? Humility says, I don't have it all yet. I don't have all the answers. I can't do this on my own. With humility, receive the word. Receive the word implanted. Did you ever notice? Just for a minute, let me interrupt myself. I want you to think of all the times that Jesus healed people. Now I want you to think of how we normally pray for people to be healed. When we pray for people to be healed, we stay with them for like half an hour. We just pray, we pray, we pray. Nothing wrong with praying, but as Jesus said, don't think you're heard just because you use more words. But do you notice how Jesus healed people? He barely ever, sometimes he touched them, sometimes he didn't. The one constant in how he healed people was he said to them, he said, he told them to do something. Don't you notice that? He didn't just say you're healed. He told them to do something. He told the, you know, or, or in some cases, like the woman with the issue of blood, she already did do something. But he says, he says to the, uh, you know, he says to the lame man, rise, take up your bed and walk. Says, puts mud in a blind man's eye, goes and tells him to wash it out. He tells, he says, how many times does he say to somebody, rise up, Lazarus, come forth. 
You see, he didn't just say, God, would you heal them? He knew God's will for them. He knew that God wanted them healed. It wasn't about convincing God. It wasn't about begging God. Most of the time when we pray, we act like we're having to shift God from not wanting to to wanting to. But his will is already established in heaven. So you're not trying to convince God of something. And most of the time, he's not praying for 10 minutes. He's not even praying for 30 seconds. He speaks to them and says, rise and be healed. And do you notice the apostles, they do the same thing. It's us that have changed the, the formula. And in every instance, it's not just, here's a word for you. You're healed. Almost every time, read it. Go back and look. Almost every time he says to them, rise and be healed. Take up your bed and walk. Come up. He says to the little girl, rise when she was dead. Come up. And so, you know what? They hear the word. Now, a dead person can't really respond to that, but a live person can. They hear the word, and when they hear him say, rise, they say, okay, I may never have walked before, but because he told me to rise, I'm going to tell my legs to rise. And because he told me, this time, it's going to work. Open your eyes. Go wash at the pool of Siloam. You see, the word of God pulls you out of the place where you were, but it requires you to have corresponding action with that faith. Say, yes, I believe. Because I believe, I'm going to rise. I'm going to do what you told me to do. And when you do, you see the miraculous power of God in your life. That's cool. That's exciting. Somebody that just hears, you're only fooling yourself. But when you do what the word says, when you act on it. Now, friends, get over your fear. Get over your religion. Get over your tradition. Forget what worked for grandma and what didn't work for grandma. I'm sorry, I love grandma too. But it's not experience that saves you. And you don't know everything. So if this didn't work for somebody, you may not know why it didn't work. You're not God. What's the most constant force in the universe? The word of God. The Bible says by his word, he holds all things together. The universe is held together by his word. The most constant force in the universe is the word of God. So quit looking at everybody else's circumstances as your barometer for what God can, can do or will do or won't do. Look to the word of God and say, God, what do you want me to believe? Then act on it. You've got to let go of all that fear and all that dead tradition and say, I'm going to be radical enough to believe the word. And if nobody else in my family, if nobody else in my church, if nobody else in my workplace believes what I believe, I'm going to look at it. I'm going to say Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. He doesn't change based on what you say. He is who he is, and he said what he said. I'm going to go ahead and step out on a limb and just believe that. And let go of all that fear that says what if, what if, what if. And just trust God. Just trust him. You ever wondered, why is it when we go overseas, we see such dramatic miracles? 
for people that have never heard the gospel. Why? Because nobody told them not to believe it. Yeah. Nobody told them two different versions of Christianity. They heard the word and nobody told them it wasn't true or maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. They just heard it. I want to get back to that kind of faith where I hear it and I just believe it. You know, we were raised on commercials and we know that they're lying to us. We know that those two battery companies can't both be the best. Somebody's lying to us. We survive by being skeptical of what we hear. But you got to have two different levels. Stay skeptical of commercials. Stay skeptical of people trying to trick you. But get rid of all your skepticism and your doubt when it concerns God. Because he's never lied to you. And he never will lie to you. Don't believe it because I said it. Believe it because God said it. People will let you down. God never will. I want us to be in 2013, 2014. I'd love to see a movement in Lloydminster and the surrounding region of people that radically believe the word of God. Radically believe it. And, and you know what? I found that people radically believe the word of God. The word of God is confirmed in their life. They don't just seem like some fairy tale believers that just are floating in the air and just believe something that you can't prove. I found that the radical believers in my life They've got time and time again where it's been confirmed. They've seen it happen. You know why? Was it because they saw it happen so they believed? No. They believed and so they did see it because they believed. Be radical in your belief towards God. Hey, stay skeptical of the world. Don't be gullible. Don't be dumb. But when it comes to the word of God, receive the word implanted. It's able to save your souls. It did save our souls. And when you've received it, Go out and do it. Remember who you are. Don't ever forget who you are. If you find yourself forgetting who you are and thinking you're just normal again, open up your Bible and find out you're not normal. You're not just somebody else. You're a child of God, son and daughter of the king, chosen for his purpose, set apart for his good pleasure, and whom he's going to show his glory. Amen.